Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Friends, I want to encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 21. And I just have to say, Karen List, my word. And choir, orchestra, uh, somebody leaned up and said, you know, after that song, uh, top that. (laughs) I'm like, time to go home, right? Don't get excited. Knock it off. Knock it off. Hey, listen, I want to remind you, next week is a big week for us. We're going to have a Thanksgiving service, a combined service in here, contemporary and traditional, in this room. And I want you to be here as we give thanks to God for what God is doing to bring us through. And as an added word of good news, we'll have a brand new sound system. Mm -hmm. I say, we'll have a brand new sound system. You'll be, okay, in case you didn't hear that, yeah. And so I do pray that you will be with us next week as we celebrate. Where do you begin a sermon that is part 15 in the book of Acts? I will tell you this. We have been through 20 chapters now. And we have two sermons to go. We are now about to enter into a brand new section of the book of Acts The entire section of Acts chapter 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26 comprises one whole unified passage, a part in the scriptures, uh, the part of the book of Acts that tells one unified movement in the story of Acts. Paul is arrested. He's brought before a mob. They try to kill him. They put him before trials between the Sanhedrin and various governors and kings. And there's much that happens in this passage. And all of it is attempting to do the same thing. I've said to you before that sometimes it's not so much what the Bible says that matters most. It's what the Bible does in the lives of those who hear what it says. Can you just kind of meditate upon that truth for just a moment? It's not just what the Bible says that matters most. It's what the Bible does in the lives of those who hear what it says. And Acts chapter 21 through 26 does something. Follow me. I mean, it says some things, yeah. It says some things about Paul coming back to Jerusalem after his journeys. It says some things about a mob that wants to kill him and tries to kill him. It says some things about being arrested and standing before governors Felix and Festus and King Agrippa, but it does something even more important than what it says. Because I told you before that the book of Acts is a two-volume work from Luke called Luke-Acts. The first part is the Gospel of Luke. The book of Acts is part two. It is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. And what Acts chapter 21 through 26 does is Luke tells a story about Paul 
that deliberately is an attempt to mirror the story he tells about Jesus at the end of the Gospel of Luke. The one you and I follow who also was brought before a mob who was also brought on trial, wrongly accused, attempted uh, attempts on his life, brought before the governor, brought before a king. Because the point is clear. What Luke is doing in this passage that we're going to study for just a moment together is he's trying to say, yes, if you are in Christ, everyone who yields to the power of God's love in Christ experiences resurrection. Resurrection is on the way. But you don't get to resurrection without having to go through a little bit of dying and a little bit of trial and a little bit of mob, a little bit of uncertainty. And so what this passage does in the lives of those who hear it, well, it's, it's really important. Because thus far, remember what has happened. Jesus is resurrected. And he says to those who see him, soon I'm giving to you a great gift, the Spirit who will infuse in you the capacity to experience the resurrection yourself, to experience a life of meaning and a life of freedom and forgiveness and peace. This spirit will come and infuse within you. And we read in the early part of the book of Acts that it indeed does. At Pentecost, the spirit is poured out over all flesh, male and female, young and old, rich and poor, Uh, educated and uneducated, and they found themselves suddenly able to to say things and do things that they had previously only seen him say and do. Their lives were infused with a kind of divine presence, a kind of divine action that caused them to see everyone around them differently, to see them as people in need of being lifted up, as strangers in need of being welcomed in of hungry and thirsty neighbors in need of food and drink. And suddenly, now that they have received this news that they could be forgiven and reconciled to God, they began to live in ways that demonstrated that what they believed was actually true. And it was so compelling that the message spread, well, it spread like wildfire. And, and what seems to be very good news to us, who wouldn't want the good news that you can be brought close to God, that you can know God and be known by God, who wouldn't think that to be good news except those who were in power and those who were at the center of the power systems of politics and religion? Well, they saw this new wave of the Spirit of God as a threat to control So they not only resisted this new message that all are welcome before God, they they began to to squelch it, to to crush it, to to persecute those who who would claim that God might be up to doing something brand new. For example, there's one man whose name was Saul who did the very same thing. He, in fact, with credentials in hand, would seek out people of the way, the Christians who were following this new way of life. He would seek them out, bind them hand and foot, bring them to the authorities, and they would be punished, arrested, imprisoned, in some cases killed, martyred. And Saul approved all of it. Until one day, when Saul was on his way to do, to do the very thing that I just described, he 
he literally encounters the risen Christ on his way. You know, it's interesting, and it goes for all of us, really. We can believe things and give words to what we believe all day long, but until we experience something, they're just words. If you experience an encounter with God's love, it transforms you, and that's exactly what it did with Paul. He began to see everything through new eyes. He began to see people differently. He began to see the traditions that had brought him thus far through a different set of eyes as well. He began to see the law of Moses and the rites of circumcision and the dietary customs, all of the traditions that had brought him to where he was, and he was a good student of all those traditions. He began to see them in service to the new thing that God was doing. And so the church began to do something they never anticipated. See, you and I are kind of tribal people by nature. We tend to do this. We circle the wagons and we say, those who are inside our tribe matter most and our ways matter most, our traditions matter most, our God, well, he's the best and everybody else is, is, is in trouble. But what these new Christians were doing was saying, you know, there is a new tribe here. And the new tribe, well, every ethnicity on the planet is a part of it. Male and female, young and old. And this thing that has happened in Christ, his resurrection makes him the king of the world. And as the king of the world, all who are in that domain are welcome, whether you are from Judaism or not. And so in the first century, one of the greatest controversies, it was groundbreaking, was the message of Paul now is that you don't have to be ethnically like me. You don't have to have practiced the traditions like we. In fact, Jesus has come to meet you right where you are and to draw you into a new family of faith. So he began to spread that word all throughout the Mediterranean and it spread like wildfire and he planted churches everywhere. And, and the message was whether you're Jew or Gentile, that means whether you're Jewish or non-Jewish, Every ethnicity on the, world, in, on the planet is welcomed, every background, every experience. And so Gentiles began to come into the practice of faith. And as they did, Paul and other church leaders began to say, it's not as important to maintain some of the old traditions because he has come to make all things new. Well, that was good news if you were a Gentile. But to those who were in control of the power systems at home in Jerusalem, it was bad news. And so Paul comes home to Jerusalem. And in chapters 21 and 22, we read about Paul coming to Jerusalem where his reputation has now preceded him. And there are some angry people waiting for him at home. You know, sometimes it's hard to really ever go home. After you've seen what you've seen and experienced what you've experienced, after God has brought you to a place where your, your mind and heart are expanded to see that God was bigger than you had ever thought before, it's sometimes hard to go home. So he was arrested. There was a crowd there who charged him with some, well, some false charges. They claimed that he was no longer loyal to the law, that he was no longer loyal to the people, that he had violated the temple. And none of it was true. In fact, Paul's expression that all are welcome because of the resurrection of Christ, Paul was trying to express all that he thought the tradition was leading them to. And they saw it as a violation, which, which is another point. You know, 
sometimes it doesn't take something to be true to bring down somebody. All it takes is a distorted version of the truth. And three or four or more of a mob to jump on to that distorted truth. And there was a mob waiting for him because he had become a heretic. He had become public enemy number one. And so they took him out of the temple and they began to beat him. To beat him up and to beat him down. (laughs) Some people get beat up, some people get beat down. Paul got beat up and down. And there's a verse, a haunting verse that emerges in chapter 21. Here it is. While they were trying to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort, that's the the Roman military machine there, that all of Jerusalem was in an uproar. Well, side note, this was a theological problem that they were having internally. But when Rome gets involved, it's simply because Rome's primary concern is to keep the peace. It's interesting. They created the problem. And Paul now looks like public enemy number one. So the Romans come and arrest Paul because he's inciting a riot. He's charged by the Roman cohort as being an Egyptian fugitive who had been known for for starting riots. And Paul said, it's not me. Can I talk to you for a moment? And speaking in Greek to the Roman, "Can can I have your ear for a moment? The Roman said, you speak Greek? Oh, so you're not the Egyptian that we thought was setting this riot. No, I'd like to speak to my people. So the, the, the military uh, uh, council brings him before this entire mob and he addresses them. And he begins to testify. And he starts from the very beginning. Heartfelt testimony in chapters 21 and 22. And Paul says, look, I am one of you. Do you not know what has happened here? I was brought up as a, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the very ones that, that you have a problem with. And, and, and I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. I learned from the honored teacher that taught many of you. I am one of you. And yet I had this experience that made scales fall from my eyes and I see the world in a different way. In fact, I see that all of our traditions that previously we held so dearly, all of them were in service leading us to this moment because it is he, the Christ who is bringing all things together, making all things new. So what you see as heresy is simply my expression of what I think is faithfulness. Faithfulness to what God has been up to and where God has been bringing this thing the whole time. And as they're listening quietly to him, then they are fed up. And we hear this in verse 22. Up to this point they listened to him, but then they shouted, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Now, I mean, what are you going to do with that? He opens up his heart and he says, look, I know that that my new way to speak of God may sound as if it is a, a, a violation of our tradition. When I say that no longer are Gentiles to be circumcised or to stick to the dietary laws or to practice temple piety, I know it sounds to you like I'm not believing the Bible. (laughs) It sounds to you like I am a heretic, but I'm saying to you that this is an expression of my faith, not a lack of faith. And in the midst of that, after hearing all that, they still said, shut this man up. He doesn't deserve to live. 
which is a reminder to all of us, really. If you are going to grow in your faith, if you're going to grow at all, you will absolutely come to a place in your journey where all of the traditions that have brought you to that point are suddenly no longer adequate to hold the size of the God that you are continuing to get to know. Because no tradition can encapsulate all of God. And as you grow in God and you express your experience with growing in him and, and, and knowing him more fully in your journey, there will be those who came up with you who are not where you are, who have not come along at the pace you have come along, who will see you as the problem, who will see you as a heretic. How could you abandon everything we were ever taught? And then you will say to them, how could you not keep growing from where we have been taught? And so we're watching right here. They think that he is abandoning the faith. And he says, I'm not abandoning it. I'm stewarding it, reminding us the moment when they accused Christ of abolishing the law. I have not come to abolish the law, Christ said, but to fulfill it, right? So we watch, and he moves from chapter 21 and 22, where he is being arrested, to chapters 23, 24, 25, and 26, where there's a series of trials, first before the Sanhedrin, the highest court in Judaism. And he stands before them to give testimony a heartfelt appeal again. He wants to give him a, a second chance to hear from his heart. And this is what happens. While Paul was looking intently at the council, he said, Brothers, up to this day I have lived my life with a clear conscience before God. Then the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near him to strike him on the mouth. <laughs> and this Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Now there's a put down. Are you sitting there to judge me according to the law and yet in violation of the law you order me to be struck? Those standing nearby said, do you dare insult God's high priest? And Paul said, oh, I did not realize, brothers, that he was the high priest for it is written you shall not speak evil of the leader of your people. It's a comical moment really. He's standing there, a heartfelt appeal, brothers, we're family here. For a long time, I've tried to live out of my sense of conscience. Pow! He's punched right in the mouth. And then in reaction, he calls out to the one, the high priest who had called for him to be smacked in the mouth. He says, you know what? God will strike you down, you whitewashed wall. When the people nearby said, you can't talk to the high priest. He didn't know it was the high priest. Maybe it's because of the beat down he had the, the night before. And he couldn't recognize. He, Paul had bad eyesight. We know that. And he didn't recognize it was the high priest. So maybe, maybe he didn't recognize him. And Paul then says, oh, oh, was it the high? Didn't, just kidding. <laughs> didn't, I was, you know, with the, I couldn't see. And, and yet, it, it, it's a reminder. Do you know what you can't do? You can't have a logical conversation about an emotional issue. You can't. Think about the most heated moments you've had with family. And by the way, Thanksgiving's coming up. <laughs> you can't have a logical conversation about an emotional issue because emotions are high until you can back away and see the person 
and the story and their lived experiences. And they didn't want to hear about his lived experiences because they were more faithful to the tradition that had gotten them there as opposed to the possibility that the actual God those traditions were meant to serve was up to something new. And here's evidence, but we won't hear it. Smack him in the mouth. Shut him up. So then it goes from the Sanhedrin to a series of trials. First, he's led to the governor, Felix, who washes his hands of him, metaphorically speaking, and sends him on to another governor, Governor Festus, who washes his hands of him, sound familiar, and sends him on to King Agrippa, sound familiar, much like in mirroring the experience of Jesus, who was brought before a mob, wrongly accused, half-truths lobbed at him, brought before the Sanhedrin, arrested, brought before the governor, but before Pilate and then before King Herod. And what's the point? The writer of Acts is saying, listen, not just to what the scripture is saying, but what it's doing. It's reminding any of you who would choose to follow Jesus that this is how the story goes. Because Christ will always lead you to deeper realms of faith and those who were with you in the beginning may not only leave you in your journey into God, but may actually be an obstacle and break the relationship and cause you more pain. There will be trial in your life. And what do you do if you realize that where Christ has brought you has created tension in your relationship with people and the people who used to be my friends and the ones who were in my family. Suddenly, we used to see eye to eye, but I see things so differently now, and they don't see things, which is fine. But don't, don't have a problem with me seeing things the way I see things. What do you do? Well, you remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 of Matthew. We read these words. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What do you do in the midst of trial? You remember that you're not alone. That he who began a good work in you will see it through to the completion of its thing in Christ Jesus. Right? That you are not alone and never have been alone. In fact, when Paul is in jail during this period of time, one night when he knows this thing is going to keep going and the, the tension is not going to be resolved and the problem, the crisis will not be fixed, he hears the voice of the Lord. That night the Lord stood near him and said, keep up your courage. And I wonder if the reason you came to church today may only be to hear somebody say to you that when you are imprisoned in an unresolved trial that you can't seem to bring to conclusion and you don't know how it's going to end, can you lean in a little bit and hear the voice that says, keep up your courage. For they did the same to the prophets before you and that you are not alone. One of the most frustrating parts of this whole story from chapters 21 through 26 is how long it took. You realize that he was in prison for years, for years. Paul is one who wants to be on the go planting new churches, checking on the churches that he had already planted. And all this wasted time 
Have you ever felt like you were in a season that never seemed to resolve? And you're like, I want to get on with my life and all this wasted time. I'm imprisoned by something I cannot control. And yet I feel like as if my life is ebbing away. For, for years he was in prison. And yet ironically, while he's in prison, something happens that may never had happened had he not been in prison. It's where we believe that Paul penned the, the, uh, the, the prison letters, the prison epistles of Colossians and Ephesians and Philippians and Philemon. Gorgeous letters of courage and strength. Gorgeous letters that describe how all are welcomed in Christ and the cosmic Christ of the ages is available to every one of us, has always been available to us. A beautiful body of literature that came out of his prison time. A trial that he wished would be over in a hurry, and yet during that time, I wonder if it changes how you hear parts of those letters if you know that he's written these letters while chained to a cold, dank prison cell. Listen to see if you hear a couple of these passages with different ears. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him, Christ All things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. Check out what he's saying. The rulers and powers are what put him in prison, see? And in a subversive kind of way, whether thrones or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. In other words, these temporary authorities have no ultimate control on your destiny, He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him, this Jesus who you think is just a prophet, this Jesus who you think, and you're accusing me of following, but you believe he's simply the Messiah du jour. In him, this one, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether in earth or in heaven or making peace through the blood of his cross. Doesn't make a difference to you that he's writing this from a prison cell and he's pouring everything out because he believes it with his whole heart, but not simply in Colossians. Is it possible that you hear the words to the Ephesians with different ears? In Ephesians chapter 2, we hear these words, but now in Christ Jesus You who were once far off, you Gentiles who the whole tradition said were far off and strangers and aliens, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is this hostility that is between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and its ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in a place of the two, thus making peace and and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. And from a prison cell chained to the wall, so he came to proclaim peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. 
So then you are no longer slaves no matter what they tell you. No matter what kind of tradition seems to undergird their argument, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. He's looking at the stone walls of that prison cell and has this wonderful line, in him The whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. And then in the same letter, you can hear his snark, a little bit of bitterness, a little bit of mmm in chapter 6 when you turn the page. (laughs) And what used to be good enough on its own when you hear the context that he's in prison for believing all this stuff He says, for our struggle is not against enemies of the blood and flesh, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present age, against spiritual forces of evil in every heavenly place. And then my favorite New Testament letter, the letter to the Philippians. We've heard it before, but in new context, with new ears, If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, he gives his resume here. I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, I was a member of the people of Israel, of the prestigious tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew born of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. You don't get more serious than that. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. Yet, however, but, here's Paul's big However, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. You know what the King James says there, right? Whatever gains I have come to regard as dung because of Christ. He's in a prison cell with no doubt vermin, rats, mice around him leaving their trail behind. And he says, you know what all this was worth when I compare it to Christ? It's all dung. He goes on to say, More than that, I regard everything as dung because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. What is the point? The point is if he was never imprisoned, he may never have written these words. And you and I and generations untold may have never received the strength of this promise that if you go through the trial, if you go through it, you don't go alone. That in him is life and hope and eternal salvation. So never underestimate the power of the trial, even if you can't see where the trial takes you until later. This is why James, the brother of Jesus, said it this way. He said, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete and lacking in nothing, whatever the trial is that you're going through, whatever unresolved imprisonment you may seem to experience these days, understand that you can't see the fruit while you're in the middle of it. You can't see it until you're looking back in hindsight. But Paul, looking back in hindsight in his life, in in 1 Corinthians, uh, reminds us that you are never out 
when Christ is in you. This is what he says. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, yeah, but not driven into despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. Beloved, you may be at a place today where you recognize you're feeling the the kind of angst, the, the tension, the anxiety, the pain of the unknown. You're imprisoned by something that you can't seem to resolve on your own. You need to understand that Paul, through all of this in the book of Acts, chapters 21 through 26, is living demonstration for us that this is the way of Jesus. It leads to eternal life. It leads to resurrection, but it will absolutely involve seasons where the mob is against you. It will involve seasons where you go through trial. It will involve seasons where you are rejected and despised and maybe fear for your life. But in the end, it will not crush you. It will not end you. Think for just a moment about the last time you went through a thing. Can you remember it? It didn't end you because you're never in the prison cell alone. 